We have a great show for you today. Strength and conditioning coach Mike Gentry, he was the head strength and conditioning coach at Virginia Tech from 1987 all the way until 2016. He's a big reason why Virginia Tech became a national powerhouse football program in the late 90s and the early 2000s. He is on the show talking strength and conditioning with us today. I also want to point you guys to a website that he runs. It's simple. It's highschoolstrength.com. Once again, that's highschoolstrength.com. And he also has a page on Facebook called Sweat Leadership. Once again, Sweat Leadership on Facebook. I highly encourage you guys to check out the Facebook page, Sweat Leadership, and HighSchoolStrength.com. I want to thank Chip Sigmund, who I had on last week, for getting me in touch with Coach Mike Gentry. I'm a huge Virginia Tech fan, and I know uh, of Mike Gentry and what he's done and accomplished there at Virginia Tech and how he helped establish and set a championship culture there. Chip Sigmund, he wrote the book, I talked about it last week, or helped facilitate the writing of the book, The Golden Age of Strength and Conditioning. I highly encourage you guys to buy that and check that out. It's a very good read. So, I hope you enjoy the show today. It's with Coach Mike Gentry, highschoolstrength.com, Sweat Leadership on Facebook. Enjoy the show. Talk to the listener about how you got started and involved in, in strength and conditioning. Went to UNC and was able to get involved with their strength and conditioning program, which at the time was pretty advanced and uh, just very fortunate to get in uh, that situation and learn to coach and strength coach a lot of different types of athletes. But the football program was doing very well. People like Lawrence Taylor were on the team and uh, famous Amos Lawrence and uh, just the most talent really that I've seen on a football team in all my years of coaching. Yeah. And all, and Michael Jordan was a pretty good player too on the basketball. He just came in and just, right. just a lot of talent. So did my GA there and um, had the opportunity in 82 to go to East Carolina. And um, in the book, it says, you know, what my salary was, which was 12,000 a year. But, but coach, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I had a contract at home for a high school in Raleigh. It was a high, it made, it was a little more money, but um, it wasn't, you know, it was a football coaching, wrestling, physical education, but that's really, for some reason, I didn't sign that contract. When the East Carolina job came open, I jumped in my car and I was there the next day. Wow. And I met with Ed Emery and um, he, I think one thing that probably helped me is that uh, North Carolina had beaten East Carolina terribly the year before. And he felt probably that if I could get this guy in here, maybe he can show us a few things and and at the same time bring us some credibility maybe. But uh, that was a godsend. And um, basically he told me, go tell the athletic director you want the job. And that's kind of how it went. But it was a great situation there. And um, 
I'll just add that, you know, we, it was coaching everybody, all the athletes. Uh, I had one guy to, to help um, who had actually been a football player that was on a medical red shirt or he'd had cancer, to be honest. And we've become lifetime friends, but um, it's just a different day and time. You did the best you could. And at really at ECU, we had uh, some really effective facilities. They weren't anything. Like today, you know, you get these Taj Mahal places because of the arm race, arms race and all the money right. that's going into things. But it was totally effective because we had a huge warehouse type building with with enough weights and stations to get the job done. And then we actually had some space to do agilities and different things that we wanted to do in that way too. So it was very functional. And um Coach Emery really taught me how to be a coach, just uh, modeling and watching him. Great motivator, um, hard worker, and he expected everybody to work hard. And that was the culture. I mean, the culture was for those guys to, they were all in. They, they busted it, and they were, they were all in, and, and he supported it. Um, I think at one time he had roomed with the strength coach, George Dostal, maybe the first strength coach at Clemson. Yeah. When Coach Emery was there. So he, he knew what it took and um, he was very supportive. <clears throat> I actually was able to train the, what I believe is history's strongest football player there in Terry Long. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he uh, had come to East Carolina and been recruited from the Army. And when I was doing my interview with Coach Emery, he said, We well, you know we've got the strongest football player in the country. And I was thinking, oh, mm-hmm. But uh, he did. He did. Yeah. And uh, this guy was just an incredible strength athlete. I'm over the top, I could tell you. Um, for instance, he could barbell curl 275 pounds for five reps. That's crazy. And that's no exa- <laughs> it, it's crazy. He was off the charts, you know. And so it was immediately after I had been around him a while coaching him, I said, you know, we're going to take you to train you for the state meet in uh, North Carolina because people need to know how that this is legitimate and how strong you are. And at that meet, he benched 500, um, squatted 837, and deadlifted 865. And he um, <clears throat> just, you know, of course, set the records on everything and went on and played nine years, consensus All American at offensive guard, and played nine years for the Steelers. But that wow. guy. And other guys, they really elevated the training of the teammates, too. Right. So uh, it was a unique time. I was all in. They, For the most part, the players were all in. The coach was all in. And um, I was around a lot of good assistant coaches. And some of those guys, a couple of them, went to Virginia Tech um, before myself. And I really wanted to be around those guys that went up there, Tom Throckmorton and Bill Almation. Uh, but they were on Coach Dooley's staff, and Coach Dooley's staff, Coach Dooley was a great football coach, so you just you don't have to, doesn't take long to figure that out. He knew how to win football games, and uh, he got a little sideways on his athletic administration part, and that created the opportunity for Coach Beamer, Frank Beamer, to come back to Virginia Tech and I happened to go back at the same time. So 
I'd always, I really wanted to go to Virginia Tech. I like the mountains. I like all that, all of that, the culture of the, of the mountains. Yes. And, and, and I thought we could win. And I thought it was a step, a step up, to be honest. Uh, we were struggling in East Carolina, and I, we had changed coaches. We had another great coach, Art Baker. Was, he's as fine a man as you'll ever meet. Uh, but we were struggling, and I was just looking for some advancement, I guess. And I went there in uh, 1987. So uh, from 82 to 87, I was at ECU. And in 87, February, I went to uh, uh, Virginia Tech. Well, you know, um, I think I told you this. I grew up a Virginia Tech fan. Uh, I was born in Blacksburg. I moved to South Carolina when I was seven, six or seven. I can't remember. But my dad had got his master's degree from Virginia Tech. My mama, they both were born in southwest Virginia. So I'm a Virginia Tech fan. So that's, that's exactly how I know um, you and, um, and you being the head strength coach there. And I think, which leads into my next question, you know, I know everybody knows you because of what you were able to accomplish at Virginia Tech. And um, just so the listener knows, in 2004, uh, you you were named the National Co- Co- uh, College Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year. Um, and then in 2011, um, you were inducted to the USA uh, Strength and Conditioning Hall of Fame. But if, if people, you know, what people remember, my age people remember, they remember, okay, Michael Vick, 2001. But I remember you guys in 1993, you had to turn it around. You had just had gone three and seven, I think, in 92. And, and, and then in 93, or maybe it was 91, 92, Virginia Tech goes eight and three. I think they beat Indiana or somebody in the bowl game. And then it was just uh, from that point forward winning. So what are things that you did at Virginia Tech with those guys? You know, everybody knows Bud Foster as the lunch pill guy, but I know as a football coach, the strength and conditioning coach is setting the standard and the tone of hard work. What are things that you did there at Virginia Tech to, to just develop that identity that you guys got in the late 90s and early 2000s? Well, I, first off, I appreciate what you said. And um, I am proud of what we accomplished there. It was almost a miracle. We, we started um, with Coach Beamer. We were not in a conference in football. We were independents, and that is a no way to make a living right there. You're going to travel to Auburn one week, Penn State the next, and uh, that's hard sledding. So we, and we were also under probation and had limited scholarships left over from the last regime. So we had a couple strikes there and we made our own mistakes to go with it, you know, so it was, it was kind of tough. And we were two, eight and one in 92. And uh, we had been a little bit better than that in 90. We'd won six games and, 91, uh, I believe the same. So, you know, that was, we were thought we, we redirected the wrong way and we did need to turn it around. And uh, I will tell you that uh, Phil Elmation came back as defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech in 93 and he single-handedly uh, changed, helped change the culture. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a, he's an impact coach. And he's been in a lot of different places, but he played for, um, oh, my goodness, Holtz, uh, Lou Holtz at yeah. William & Mary. And he's coached with Lou Holtz. And he knows how to turn a program around. So that was a big impact in 93. As far as what um, 
I was trying to do the right things all along, of course. And we were, I, this, this is what I think is important. I think it's, you've got to recognize hard work and you've got to reward the guys that are working hard and you've got to hold accountable um, everybody and the ones that are uh, not as bought in. You've got to be, you've got to be the bad guy sometimes with those guys and you've got to be the good guy for everything that's going good. And we had a lot of um, opportunities for recognition. So we would have a lot of award systems there. And, a, and an award might be something like putting your name, handwriting it, and sliding in a, on a board in your weight room. Um, it might be taking their pictures, putting them in a $2 frame, and putting them up in the weight room. It's not about, you know, money or anything like that. And we had T-shirts, of course, that we gave, and 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 we gave, and we had a lot of different ways that we did that. If uh, they were personal record breakers, let's say we tested five things and they improved on four personally, not compared to everybody else, then that was a T-shirt. And we had a tiered system for the lifts that we concentrated on, that they could work from maroon level all the way to super iron hokey. So we tried to recognize a lot of people we would like to give out 50 shirts they weren't all the same but uh, we wanted a lot of people wearing them <clears throat> and we even did things later like the Excalibur award where we look at everything that they did from agility speed acceleration strength power uh, flexibility the whole package and those were really special guys there so we wanted to create a lot of recognition uh, respect, recognition, honor those guys that did well. We wanted to make it important, and we did. And um, I like to, you know, guys that really did well, I, I try to get them featured in Bigger, Faster, Stronger because yeah. they were worthy of it, you know, and, that, and you know, that kind of thing. So we, there, I wanted pride in the program. Uh, you've got to have that. And they watch you, too. You know, they're going to see if you care. And if, if you don't care, they, they're not going to care very much. There's, a, there's that 5% that don't need a coach, but 90% do. Right. And uh, they're going to watch you. So <clears throat> one thing I used to tell them, Coach, is, uh, you know, our weights weigh the same. They weigh the same here in Blacksburg as they do in Miami or Pittsburgh. And, you know, our, our room may not be the same, but our program's the same and our weights weigh the same. And by God, you know, let's go. Right. Uh, so that's kind of the bottom of it, really. I mean, just uh, caring. Whoever your strength coach is, they better care a whole lot. Well, well Coach, know. what I remember about Virginia Tech is, you know, the guys like Jim Pine, the, the guys that mm -hmm. probably weren't really highly touted coming out of high school. You know, and I really think this is, I think, and I don't know if you can do it this, in this day and age with how recruiting is, but what, what you, what Virginia Tech was able to do is get that hardworking player who, who was just a, a, a lunch pail guy and he wasn't mm -hmm. a highly touted guy. And then they go to you and you develop them and make them into great, great football players. I think Jake Grove is another example. And if we thought about it, we could sit there and just go down the list of, of guys that you developed. Talk to that about, you know, because development is a critical thing. Talk to that a little bit about guys like that and, and, and the culture there. Well, 
Well, number one, we're in Blacksburg, Virginia. So you're not going to be recruiting guys that want to be in the big city. Right. There's not as many distractions in Blacksburg, or at least especially in that time, in those early 90s and so forth. We're on on probation, so we're actually bringing in a lot of – we're really recruiting a lot of walk-ons. Yeah. With with the um, promise that if you make it and you're starting, you'll earn – we'll put you on scholarship, you know, and making that a real deal. And um, <clears throat> in that, in that process, so you have a lot of hungry guys. Jake Grove was recruited by, he was offered one scholarship besides Virginia Tech. You know who that was? I don't. VMI, VMI cadets. Wow. That's who, that's who we had to beat Jake Grove. Jake Grove worked himself into, and he was talented. The guy was not, just a worker, but he worked himself into, you know, an All-American, and um, he's retired now <laughs> doing guiding fishing trips, you know, and, and investing his money and things like that. And there's a lot of other Jake Bros. I'm glad you mentioned him, but um, there's guys like Jarrett Ferguson and, um, well, um, well, it's just so many of these walk-ons that uh, developed into pro players, so... And when you have that kind of intensity in your room and that kind of uh, want to, you can build on that, you know. You know, another and, guy I'm thinking about, you know, just, just just me, I'm just a fan, you know them all. But, like, I remember the year I think they went to the national – when they went to the national championship, maybe I'm wrong, though, maybe it was the first time they went to the Sugar Bowl. But either way, Cornell Brown, you had him on one side. And, he, of course, he wasn't a highly touted guy either, but ended up, I think, leading the NCAA in sacks. And then, yeah, on the opposite end, you had Engelberger. Remember him? Mm-hmm. He was of course a- I do. That's the name I couldn't come up with. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so let me share this story. We're walking off the field after the national championship game. And, of course, we lost. And um, Engelberger, he's, he's finished at Tech. He finds me on the field and says, Coach, I wish I'd have worked harder this summer. I wish I'd have uh, – I could have done a little bit more. And I, all I could tell it. At that time, that kid, I said, man, you did great. You did everything we asked you to do. And, and uh, I mean, but that's the kind of – if you have guys like that, I'll, I'll go to war any day with those guys. And we had a lot of, the, a lot of guys like that. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, yeah. Man, that's, that's just – man, it's just part of the – I just the, I just remember Virginia Tech football back then was just so – it was so awesome um, watching those guys and, and what you guys did with them. So, Coach um, – now I have some questions for you from a high school perspective and kind of my world. And, and a lot of coaches, you know, are, are have a world similar to mine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just pretend you're a high school uh, strength, strength coach. And this, and this is, this is what I, this is where I live. I have uh, 28, mm-hmm. 28 minutes, five times a week. I have five classes. I have about 140 athletes, 140 boys that'll roll through. Some of them just play basketball. Some of them just play football. Some of them play three sports. And, and you know, I, I kind of mixed um, – I've kind of mixed bigger, faster, stronger. I like the, the reps, five sets of five, five sets of three, five, four, three, two, one. And then I don't, I don't do CrossFit, but I've kind of sprinkled the, the, the concept in because I only have 28 minutes, so I want one core lift. Like, hey, I want squats on Monday and then three rounds of – or four rounds of you got two and a half minutes to do it. Ten pull-ups, ten glutes. Um, what else do we do? Um, uh, six hang cleans. 
but I only mm-hmm. have tw- I only have 28 minutes, and we'll throw box jumps in there as well. Um, and I know there's a better way to do it. So I, I was just curious what if you had 28 minutes five times a week, what would be some essential things that you do? Well, I would. Um, that's interesting. How, yeah, I'm assuming you have enough equipment, and your classes aren't. How, how many people are in your class? Uh, I have about 20 to 25 per class. And my biggest yeah. might be 30, but I have 10 racks of mm-hmm. um, where they can, you know, it's just, a, it's just racks so they can squat, power clean, or, or bench, you know, and they're high yeah. school kids. So I like them all doing the exact same thing because um, they're just, you mm-hmm. can't, high, high school kids can't, they can't, they have to do the same thing. I understand. Focus is a situation. <laughs> yes. Well, what I thought about coach was uh, like you, I would try to have one big thing that I was doing that day. And like you too, I always squatted heavy on uh, Monday. I called it big Monday big because Monday. I thought that was the best day for them to come off of a weekend in the off season to do, to do that. Some people have other philosophies and that's one thing about this business. It's just like football. You can approach it a lot of different ways and win the, as long as you believe it and the kids buy into it. Um, you know, we're coaching kids, whether they're high school or college, that are in the prime for, for improvement because of their hormones and their growth, uh, hormone, everything is, is ready to rock. So if we can keep them focused, they'll, they'll improve. But I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking uh, maybe Monday's a squat day and Tuesday's a bench variation day. That's your focus. I was even thinking that Wednesday, believe it or not, Coach, you'll, not, you'll think this is crazy. But uh, Wednesday might be a speed agility or games day, you know, that they that they actually you take them in there. They they let them play basketball, let them play dodgeball, let them do some different things on that and come back on Thursday. And it's a good day, a good day to hit lunges and box step ups. If you if you like doing those things, Um, it'd be a good day to, to start off. And your big thing would be your hang clean or hang snatch component. And and that can be broken down. You know, you can break that hand clean down into um, jump shrugs. You can break it down into high pulls. You know, there's lots of ways to implement the hand clean or the hang snatch. And I'd encourage you to look into that too. Okay. And then Friday would be a push day again, a push pull day. So that'd be a good day to do your inclines. That'd be a good day to do dumbbells. If you have them, do partial benches, uh, close grip benches and pulls, do, do pull-ups, do rows, do those kind of back movements that you, um, that are so good for them, you know, to give them balance and size. So Monday would look like a heavy squat and your power exercise. I'd like to do a power exercise every time I'm in the weight room. So the power exercise of that day would be a component of the hang snatch or hang clean. And, you know, one thing you can do, do you have trap bars? Or uh, um, I don't but I can get them. Yeah. i tell you what, that's a great exercise. If you're even just doing deadlifts and shrugs, because it's so much safer than a regular bar really puts the focus right on the traps, but you can also put a lighter weight and just do jumps with them. Yeah. Jump shrugs. So actually jump off the ground and, and that's been proven to be really effective. Uh, so that'd be something you could marry up on that squat day. Come back on Tuesday, hit that bench or press, whatever press you're going to push and have, do your, do your um, pull-ups. And that day would be a good day for box jumps, plows. Um, 
uh, you know, there's so many different ways to do that, but, you know, make them get off that floor quick. Tell them the floor's on fire. Get up off that floor. Hit, hit and go. Wednesday speed agility games. Heck, it might be a good day to bring a speaker in, you know, bring in a military guy in there. Right. Tell them what it's about. Thursday, I, like I said, I really like lunge variations, whether they're walking or with a barbell or in box step ups. I think those are really good speed developers. <clears throat> Some component of your hang snatch or hang clean. And then Friday, you're doing plows again, you're doing push pull, and you're doing dips. I think pull ups and dips are great assistance exercises. Yes. <clears throat> and, well, I that sound reasonable? No, yeah, it sounds great. Um, so <laughs> let me ask you this. I've always tended to, for whatever reason, uh, do pull-ups on leg day, which would be Monday and Thursday. But you say pull-ups are better. I should, I should basically do that with, with the shoulders and, and chest day. Well, what I'm, I think there's always different ways to do things. But I like to marry up when you're pushing – marry that up with a pull okay like a row or a pull up or a lat pull down or something like that i just think it works really good that way so kind of getting that antagonistic muscle group and you're, you know you're pushing so much using your triceps and then when you're doing those pulls you're working your biceps it just really works pretty well that way i think so i'd rather marry up some of those explosive movements where we're trying to move the bar fast with your squats and, you know, if you don't like if, – if a coach – they all need to change anyway. So you might go through a phase where you're doing some step-ups and lunges on that Thursday, and then you go through the next phase where you're doing front squats. I'm a big front squat guy. Yeah. So everything – it's uh, – variety is important. It's important. Even starting sometimes at the bottom of your list and working up. You know, just changing things up is important. Okay. So. Um. So now talking about speed and I, I don't have a lot of time, uh, speed time with them. Um, we really, we highly encourage our skill guys to run track, but, I, but I'm still going to have guys that play baseball, play lacrosse or, or just are not going to run track because they're linemen. They might've wrestled and not do anything in the spring. What are two to three things, simple things that, that I can do uh, at the high school level to develop speed? And I know you're born with it, but, but like we can at least cultivate the talent. What are, what are some essential things you think? Okay. Um, first off, I would take three, four, five minutes of your time at the beginning of that 28 minutes, and I would do some kind of uh, foot speed drill, whether it's jumping rope, whether it's jumping rope running, dot drills, or uh, speed ladders. I, those are the big three for me. And just keep trying to change those drills up so it doesn't get boring and just run them through there every day. Over the course of a year, you're getting a lot of reps. That's right. And you're making your feet do what your mind wants, wants them to. So that, that's a great warm-up and it's a great way to work your feet. And you're working their ankles, calves. It's, it's a good thing to do, I think. Then that's when I would usually hit their ab work and things because that makes sure it gets done. And then I'd tell them what the workout was, which they pretty much knew, but they heard from me then. So we're talking, coach, as concise as possible, five to six minutes max. Yeah. Get, get them into the workout. Call the sets. Do you call them? Like uh, next man up, get them all up and go. Uh, if um, it, if you know, it's a, yes, I do. 
Or if it's, you know, if you need to, I didn't like doing it, but sometimes you need to just to keep it rolling. Yes, sir. And accountable. Okay. And then with the speed uh, component, we've got a, a model. My best friend is Tony Catarzano. He's an exercise physiologist at Furman. And we developed this little model of athleticism, and at the base of the pyramid is strength. That one thing, strength is the one thing that affects most other components the most other components so as they get stronger they're going to be faster versus untrained guy if as they get stronger they're going to be more powerful they're going to jump higher they're going to run a little faster now you and i know they need to do more than that but your, the base of that pyramid is get them stronger and if more people at my level or what was my level get away from that i want to play those guys right you know the ones that that don't lift the weight let, let's take those guys on. So um, back in the early days, you wanted to play the guys that were Nautilus guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's not any more of them, I don't think. But uh, if you could catch a team like that, you you had a real good chance. So then, so we're needing to get force into the ground with our squats, front squats, those kind of movements. We're needing, you know, and also step ups and lunges. They can help big time. And then from there, you're working on power by putting force into the ground quickly with your snatches, your plyometrics, your cleans. And the main thing with those cleans is how fast is that bar moving? So if you've got a way to, uh, to, to monitor that, to measure that, that's a huge help. So uh, Tendo units sold by Sornex, they're expensive. And there are other uh, devices now that are less expensive. But if you can measure that bar speed and those kids on that platform can see what they did, watch that bar start moving a lot faster. And okay. um, that's what you want. So <clears throat> from there, you know, I, I used to tell every these recruits that everything we did was for speed, to be honest with you. But as far as football, you, you get them training that way in the weight room and then you need some resistive running. So whether they're pushing the sled, especially the linemen, are pushing boards, pushing two by fours. If you you know can envision that. Yeah. And they're pulling pulling sleds, especially the skill kids. You know, you don't put too much weight on that sled that they can't run. Get fifty pounds on it max or so, and let them run. Um, or running in sand. We had a great sand pit attack. Uh, just a forty yard sand pit that was ten yards wide. It's a great thing. If you can, if you don't have that, you can run hills. You know, run uphill and watch your acceleration gets get better. Get a timing system and time their 10-yard time. You can't do it with a watch or, you know, handheld. You're going to need some kind of a timing system with a laser and start keeping up with those 10-yard times because re really that's the deal. And Coach right. Beamer would look at those 10-yard times to find those guys that he thought would have – he would at least give them a shot at being the guy that, to block the kick. Yeah. So he would work work them, and um, so I don't know if that you need ah. resistive running, you need to get strong, and you need to move some uh, weights and move yourself quick and plyometrics, those kind of things. Yeah, no, that that helps me <clears throat> a lot. Um, all right, getting to the last few questions, just just curious, give me some pros and cons of being a big time college strength and conditioning coach. Um, and I imagine one is the more you win and, and the higher up you get, the, the more pressure there is to win. And, but 
you know, what are some the pros and cons of, of the level that you coached at at college? Well, let me tell you, uh, and we talked about this before, but the, I, I firmly believe this. I learned it from a former uh, Citadel grad, Ellis Johnson. I don't know if you've ever heard his name. Coach, he coached he's me been in 2001. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you know him. Who else was – who was your head coach, by the way? Well, Ellis Johnson. Well, Don Powers was my head coach for four years before Ellis uh -huh. Johnson. Ellis Johnson, uh, my senior year, he came. Okay. And uh, came from Alabama. He was our head coach. Right. Well, you've had a lot of good ones. Art Baker's through there. Coach Zernhelt went through there. And uh, I got a lot of respect for the Citadel. But, uh, but to get back to your question, what Ellis taught me is uh, the big time is wherever you're at. And it's exactly true. I mean, it really doesn't matter. You're going to put in the same amount of work. You don't work for the money. Um, you work to win and you work to help kids. And uh, it really doesn't matter. So, And you're going to get fired if you don't win at your high school, just like in this day and time, in this day and time, just like you would at uh, any, anywhere else. So right. the big times where you're at. No question. Uh, what I liked about it was I liked being a, trying to be a good example and teach kid things, kids things that they could take with them and apply in life. I mean, that's the bottom line. So, um, and, and when they come back and they tell you that you were able to do that or they bring their kids to meet you, uh, man, that's humbling. And that's, that's your pay, really. So that, that was the best part of it. And being around inspired kids, I was able to be around kids that inspired me. Um, Sam Rogers, uh, at, toward the end of my career, he came in there, I walk on, and he, he brought everybody's training level up. He was that guy, and he was, uh, he's also a strong Christian. And um, he just made people better yeah. because he was going to be better. And um, so it's, it's, it's neat to kind of get chills just thinking about that, to be honest with you. Yeah. And the camaraderie of the team, you know, that you're part of a team and you got a common mission. Um, and that really doesn't matter where you are. I mean, that's the same thing. And seeing people, seeing kids get, be, grow up, just see them become men, you know, or take on responsibility and own it and that kind of thing. Now, the money's good. It, it was, uh, I went to East, to Virginia Tech. Uh, for thirty thousand dollars, I always want to tell people that Bud was making twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, that you know, so it wasn't always great, and it's out of control now. But along with that money, uh, you're you're not going to survive if you're connected to the big sports like football and basketball. Now starting to be baseball, if that head coach is not successful you're probably not going to make it. And uh, that's, that's really not very good. It creates a climate of win at all cost. Uh, it's not good on a lot of different levels that way. But if, if you're a young guy and you have a family and you've got to win to stay and keep the job, uh, that is hard, you know, and, and yeah. you may be making a lot of moves uh, yeah. and they're not good moves and you don't want to, take your children around to places that you wouldn't even want to be yourself just because it's a job, you know? Right. So that's the con I think. And it's gotten into a seven day work week. Um, a lot of the year you're going to be there seven days a week. Um, and that's something that's just changed over time. Um, and that's not healthy either. 
No. I mean, uh, I just got to say it's not. So <clears throat> those Definitely are kind of the, the best parts and any other parts. So, yeah, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but just, you know, there's some young coaches that listen to this, strength and conditioning coaches, football coaches. But, you know, think about, you know, 23-year-old in, in today's day and age uh, trying to get into the strength and conditioning world. What, what's a little bit of advice to, to that young man? I think number one, coaches, uh, do you, you have to – that guy needs, or girl needs to ask themselves, do I love to train? I mean, do I do? I, is this a, something that that I'm going to do no matter what? And is it something that I like and love so much that I want to share it with other people? And can I see myself? Uh, a lot of people can't see themselves spending ten plus hours a day in a weight room. <laughs> can you imagine that? Yeah. But some don't <laughs> want to. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, and you're going to have confrontations. I mean, uh, and. You're going to have great days, and you're going to have days that you go home that you replay, and they're not great days. Um, and then the part about the security, I mean, it's just not there. And the higher you get up the ladder, I guess you'd say, the less security you have. So those are things that are real, and I just think that they'd really have to think about. And if you don't have, it's not about being out in the crowd or in front of a crowd or anything that's not that's not what the job's really about so if you think it is if you're young and you think it is it'd be hard to sustain it um, it's really about relationships helping people um, being part of the push um, those kind of things so okay so last question coach um, you know uh, you and I discussed your faith in Jesus Christ a little bit last week but you know, how, how does that uh, impact your relationships today? And, and what do you wish you could have done a little bit better uh, in years past? And that's just kind of a focus on, you know, uh, being a Christian and, um, and, and, and letting your shine, light shine before others. Um, I don't know if that question makes any sense to you or not, but. It makes any sense, Coach. I can tell you, I, I was um, baptized as a kid. I, you know, my parents were Christian, and I, I consider myself a Christian, but I might have been that kind of Christian that Jesus would have liked to spit out of his mouth. Right. Lukewarm, you know. And um, only in very recent years have I made the commitment to surrender my will for his will. And that's a hard thing for a, a man to do, and maybe for anybody to do. But um, if you're especially competitive and you're out there in the trenches just like your book says uh, you're going to want to do it your way and you and it's going to it can spill over into to other things and I think for me and maybe for a lot of people it's just as selfishness you become selfish and um, I wish that hadn't been the case but I know that it was and I know that uh, Jesus Christ paying the price and that's a peace there's a peace that comes along with that that's unlike anything else and it makes you want to be better it makes you want to give up things that have been holding you back maybe for years and years and years and it gives you the power to do it because if you pray and you ask for it 
to take the will away to do from doing that, he will help you. And that's my message. Um, you know, your life can get better today. And it's just making the decision to surrender your will to God's will and to understand that you can be forgiven and born again. And I just, uh, if there's one person out there that hears this, that's more important to me than all of the strength coaching. And that's right. So that's, that's it for me. Well, coach, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I know this was very beneficial for me and obviously it was exciting getting to talk to you uh, as a Virginia Tech fan. Um, I always like to end with a prayer and, and pray for you if you don't mind um, okay. as we finish up. Be great. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today. Just so want to praise and thank you um, for Coach Gentry and Lord and, and everything that you're doing in his life right now, Lord. We praise and thank you for uh, what you've used him to do and accomplish in the strength and conditioning world. And Lord, at the places he's coached and the, the lives that he's impacted. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to use him to impact lives for Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, that he would continue to uh, be successful and, and live a life of influence over people. And uh, Lord, and as he just did uh, here on this podcast, Lord, challenge people to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's just one guy out there, maybe a guy that he's coached his whole entire life and had a relationship with his whole entire life, I pray that, Lord, they would find motivation and encouragement um, from Coach's story. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate it, Coach. Amen. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. And we'll be talking. I'll get you that other information also. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Yes, sir. Make it count. Leave a mark. Build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams. Chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. But all in world can sell his empty dreams I got lost in the light that it was up to me to make a name the world remembers but Jesus is the only name to remember and I